hear the concept endurance, to endure, what comes to your mind first? Steadfastness. Steadfastness. Right. Running in races. Marriages is really a good application. Suffering. Somebody said sports over here. That's a huge arena for it. Matter of fact, they make endurance drinks, right? Every, when you go in the store now, it's just racks and racks of drinks are supposed to help you endure. Um, I talked to my uh, nephew Dallas, um, who somehow managed to make sure he wasn't here to share this with you. I told him he was going to share it as a testimony, but then he had this interview he had to go to this morning. Just so happens, yeah. They, he, he placed his down application a year ago. Just so happens today, he's supposed to be here sharing it. But, but here's, his, here's his little story he wrote me, and I asked him to write this. I played football all my life, and that's not. When I was younger, I'd never lost a game until I was 12 years old. He played with uh, Municipal Raiders, and y'all know that whole story with my brother Mark, and had the winningest team. I would be one of the best away teams in the Southeast or whatever. Yeah, they, just, they lost one game at the very end of their 12-year season. They lost the final game they played, 8-6, or whatever that was. So, so Dallas had been winning, winning, winning. Played on a team with excellent coaches and excellent players. And, uh, I love this how he writes this. After that, I went to high school football at Faith Academy. Anybody know where that's going? <laughs> so, there, there was completely different. We had a season where we never won a single game. Every day of practice that season was tough. We would go out and play hard and practice hard, but we never saw any positive results on the football field. We would feel like there's no hope and no reason for us to even put forth any effort through practice at times, but we would always give 100%, even though we felt defeated physically and mentally. We fought through that tough season. Then the next season rolled around, we made sure that we would not let that happen again. It still looked, uh, it still took us five weeks to win our first game that season. We, went, we ended up winning three out of the last five games, showing that our endurance and giving effort and practicing hard had finally paid off. So that's just, that's an athletic moment where it's not going well. Your team's not winning, your team's not doing good, and then he just steps up and he says, you know, even in practice, we're just going to keep on practicing and keep on doing it. We're going to endure. That's an athletic moment. Now, Diane's got a little testimony for you. Mine is losing a child. After I got married, I, I was told by three different specialists that I could never have children. I finally got pregnant, and I had my son for nine months, and he died of an unknown death. Took him to two different hospitals, and they could not figure out. They ran test after test, and they could not figure out what was wrong with him. And it devastated me, and I wanted to give up on life because I had been told so many times I could have children. And then when I finally had a son, I felt like God took the son away from him. And he gave me this scripture <clears throat> in Luke 18, 16. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And what it put in my mind was, what made better babies That's what has comforted me all these years. And I know that I will see him again.
some enduring right there. I, I think I could probably pick on a bunch of you. Just be glad you didn't get the same call she got on Friday or Saturday whenever I called her and said, hey, I need you to give a testimony. And, uh, but, but all of us have some level of endurance. Uh, we've had to endure something to get this far in life. Um, and, and God strengthens us through that, but he also teaches us through it. This morning I want to talk about the endurance that's biblical, scriptural endurance so that you can have joy, have joy and be fearless in the midst of all that you face, just like the Apostle Paul. Now, we've been teaching through Philippians for a whole year, starting in January. And I'm going to ask you to answer a couple of questions about Philippians while you're turning to Hebrews chapter 12. When Paul wrote the book of Philippians, where was he? Somebody tell me out loud. He was in prison. How long had he been there? He'd been there two years. And he's in prison in what city? Do anybody remember? Big city. Yeah, he's in Rome. He's near the Praetorian Castle, the Praetorian Guards area, because he, he speaks of that in his letter, actually. And uh, all of the Caesar's family is surrounding his, his servants surround Paul at some level. Now he's also, when he's in prison, um, he's not free because he's what? Chained to a guard. That was the electronic tracking device of that day. They didn't have electronics, so they just said, hey, we're just going to make a guard, your tracker, and you can't go anywhere without him. So they just chained Paul to a guard. What kind of food did he eat? Prison food, right? He ate prison food. By the way, the Apostle Paul movie, the movie Apostle Paul has just started showing on television. Now it's out of kids, I guess they're showing on television. But if you get a chance to sit down and watch that, man, is it powerful. Um, and he's in prison. Now this is this is the second prison time in Rome when he's actually going to be beheaded at the end of it. And the one in, that, that he writes from the book of Philippians, he gets out. Right? They don't behead him. But it's the same conditions, and he's in deplorable conditions, terrible sleeping arrangements and everything. And here he is writing a letter to the church at Philippi and he could be saying to Philippi, this is horrible. Help me. I can't believe I'm stuck here. Somebody write their senator, write your congressman. Philippian uh, town of Philippi is a, a Roman colony so there'd be political power there to speak back into Rome. He could be writing all kinds of stuff about how miserable and terrible and horrible his life is. And instead, he writes all about the work of Christ, the joy that he has, and what he's hearing about the Philippians and what he's seeing in his own ministry, and the joy that he has that if God takes his life, he's going to be with Christ. So he's filled with joy. So if there's a model of enduring difficult times, it would be Paul in the Philippian letter. And I'm just going to give you some samples of it. As we go through and tell you, these are the things that you use to endure. Now, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, if you look at it in your New Testament, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and sin that clings to us closely. we got to get rid of the sins and weights that cling to us. And then here's what it says. Run with endurance the race that's set out before us. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. So when we're running with endurance, who, who do we fix our eyes on when we need to endure? Who do we fix our eyes on? Jesus. The I love, I love the new, new English translation. The pioneer and perfecter. Uh, my translation in New American Standard and the King James says the author and finisher. 
finisher of our faith. Man, that's beautiful. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out before him, we spent a lot of time talking about this joy, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. I believe Paul put this verse into practice and looked unto Jesus. While he was in prison, he looked to Jesus, saw the joy set before him, and he practiced what he saw in Jesus so he could endure with joy. And uh, so I'm going to show you how he did that. This is, this is a beautiful, beautiful passage. First of all, you endure by being selfless. A dominant theme of Paul's letter to the Philippian church is to be selfless. Selfless. Philippians 2 verse 1. Therefore... There be any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, Paul says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intended on one, intent on one purpose. You can't be intent on one purpose and you can't be united if you're selfless. It works for athletes, it works for military people. If there's a selfless guy in the military deal, the whole place is going to get in trouble and there's going to be Harm and danger come to you. Paul says we have to do, do it together in unity. Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And he goes on to verse 5 and he says these great passages we taught on. Have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus. Who although he existed in the form of God. Didn't cling to that. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself and became a servant. He humbled himself and became a servant. I'm just going to tell you that you endure hard times by being selfless, not selfish. Selfish people are not good endurers. They're whiners, they're complainers, they're all the time struggling uh, to get past some sort of, uh, they feel like they've been wronged or victimized or mistreated and so that they can't lose that mindset because it's all about them. Instead of turning their suffering time as a time to reflect and say, how can I help somebody else? How can I think about others, pray about others, care about others? They turn selfish. Selfish people don't endure well. They don't endure well. And so you want to be somebody who endures, you have to be selfless. You also endure by mining out, chapter 2, verse 12, mining out that which God has placed in you. God has placed a lot of strength and character and help inside you, particularly the Holy Spirit, who is your counselor, your guide, your teacher, your comforter, and the one who seals you into the day of redemption. All that's placed inside you the minute you're saved. When you get saved, God gives you the Holy Spirit, and you have Him as a resource the entire Christian life, all the way till you get to heaven, and then you'll have him there as well because he'll be there. So you get to have the Holy Spirit the whole time. You have this huge resource. And the fruit of the Spirit is listed in Galatians, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. Love ultimately is the ultimate fruit, which is agape love. It means you love even your enemies. Right? And then 1 Peter and Ephesians 1 talk about, talk about uh, how God's given us all that we need for life and godliness and he, Ephesians says he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Right? So you have all of this given to you. And that's why Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says it this way. So then my beloved, Paul says, just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence, but now much more in my absence, 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We studied this very detailed. There is no such thing as working for your salvation. He's saying work out. And it's a term that's used of mining. Anybody remember why he used a mining term with the Philippian church? Because it's surrounded by gold and silver mines. The, church, the, the city of Philippi is surrounded by gold and silver mines. You go into the mine, you, you, you hammer and chisel and beat, hammer and chisel and beat, and dig and move dirt and hammer rocks and keep doing that, keep doing that. You work very hard. Work out the treasure that's in the mountain and then you have the treasure. And Paul's saying, use the same Greek word, you've been given this treasure in you, work it out in your life so that you can endure. You endure by working out that which God has placed in you. While Paul's in prison, he's working out what God's placed in him. God's placed in him joy, hope, peace, and endurance, and strength, and love. He, he, and if you watch the Apostle Paul movie, um, it's very emphatic with him that he teaches Luke, the physician who keeps visiting him, how to love his enemies. And he just keeps going over it because Paul is so saturated with love that he can't stop saying we have to love them. Love is what changes people. That's what Christ taught and Paul was just using that to work it out of himself while he's in prison. You endure by rejoicing. You endure by rejoicing all through the letter. I'll just give you a couple of quick examples. If you can't rejoice, by the way, endurance is going to be very, very hard for you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Now Paul's saying, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. He's saying, while I'm in prison, it's like I'm being empty. In other words, it's, there's some suffering there. There's some trial there. Right? We talked about enduring and suffering. He's saying, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Even if I am... I rejoice, and I want you to share my joy with I share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way. Share your joy with me. Philippians 3, verse 1. Re Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. And when we talk through this rejoicing concept, what, what is the... When we talk through rejoicing... You remember what I said rejoicing literally means? Is it, is it to sit back and reflect on all the good things you've got from God and in your mind say, hmm, I am rejoicing in my mind about all this. This is a rejoiceful day. I'm rejoicing in my mind. Is that the picture? No. The picture is when uh, your favorite team scores a touchdown and you physically can't help but go, whoa, yeah. The rejoicing to Paul is out loud. And he means it all through the book to be out loud rejoicing. Verbally, physically, to express joy out loud. Those who endure have to learn to express their joy out loud. Not just to hold it to yourself. And I know some of us think it's all sanctified and holy to be very calm, very okay with God. You know, it's like when Jesus was walking around, he was always just real calm, so we have to be real calm. I don't think he was that way at all. I think Jesus had some woo-hoo moments. I literally believe he messed with the disciples all the time. I think he picked on them. I think he could. And he could win the battle every time. I think he, you know, put sand in their shorts sometimes just for fun. You know, and 
like wake up and blame each other and be like, no, Jesus did. No, I don't think so, man. He's not that kind of, he wouldn't do that. Jesus over there just giggling, you know, like, hey, these guys, we're just having fun. You know he had fun. You know he taught them songs and they would sing and they would sing terrible, you know, and be like, man, it was awful. There's a ton of things about Jesus we forget that he celebrated life and he lived to to help his disciples learn to do that. Paul's sitting in prison manifesting, literally manifesting Jesus' grace in that prison, enduring it. And he writes to his congregation at Philippi and he goes, man, just rejoice, 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 come on. Don't whine about me, don't worry about me, rejoice, 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 rejoice. We've got to learn to be passionate about that. Next, you endure by seeking to surround yourself. You endure by surrounding yourself with people of faith. Paul in chapter 2, verse 29, has incur- he's, he's taught the, reminded the Philippians about the greatness. He's talked about a little bit about himself and how he served them. Then he talks about Timothy, who's a magnificent servant. He talks about Epaphroditus, who's a fantastic servant of the people. Uh, and, and the body of Christ. And Paul says, Philippians 2.29, Receive him then, Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy. Hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Risk his life to complete uh, what deficiencies were in your service to me. And then Philippians 3, verse 17. Listen to what Paul says when he gets to chapter 3 after he does the math thing. We'll talk about that next. After he teaches you the new math, he says, Look, join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. What's the pattern you have in Paul and and Timothy and and Epaphroditus? Selfless service and Christ-centered living. Look for people that live like that and surround yourself with them. Doesn't mean you don't fellowship with people that are way off that track. Matter of fact, that's how we witness to them. But surround yourself with people that are tracking with Christ. They're selfless. They're they're centered around the things that Christ loves. Like Paul says of Timothy, he loved, he was concerned about the things of Christ. Find people that are concerned about Christ things and and make sure they are the ones that are their dominant influences in your life. So we have to surround ourselves with good people. Then you have to you endure chapter 3. I'm just working my way through the book here. Chapter 3, you endure by using God math. Did a whole couple of lessons. I think we did three lessons in chapter 3 on the God math. Um, math like God does it. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I could have confidence in my flesh. In my, uh, my handwritten notes and my observations, I just kept putting uh, CIF, confidence in flesh, confidence in flesh. It's where Paul says... This is something I can be confident in. I did really good in school. I, I was I was born to the right uh, class of men. I was actually born into the right tribe of Israelites. I have all this heritage. And then I did really good in school and I got all these degrees and I excelled as a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of Pharisee. And he's like, I got all this happening. Confidence in flesh, confidence in flesh. So what does he do in God math? Chapter 3, verse 8. He turns it back around in chapter 3 and he's when you get to verse 8, and he says, More than that, I count all things to be lost, except for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. I count all things as loss. And Paul understood that the way you endure is by forgetting earthly things.
things and letting go of those and counting the things that matter. You count the things that matter. I uh, think I may have left it on my desk, but I have this book called the Orphan. No, I guess called the Orphans and the Ravens. Highly recommend if you can still go online and get one of these. Voice of the Martyrs used to carry them. It's called the Orphans and the Ravens, and the author's name is Julia Francis. Um, Julia Francis is actually Judith Fedens. Is her name. This is. You've heard me talk about Fedibachi. Um, the man in Romania that endured 18 years in prison for his faith. That's him. Uh, Frank Visky is how we would say his name. Visky Fedens. And, and his wife, Judith, they call her Utanini, which means Aunt Judith. Utanini, uh, and, and that's her. And this is her book um, that her son helped her write about how she survived 18 years in political prison he was in prison, and when they do that, they would the, the communists in Romania would take the family and move them to places. Y'all can't see this picture, and I couldn't figure out a way to show it to you, but it's it's like the worst house you'd ever see that it's just got sticks for roof. There's no roofing over it. It's just an old beat-up uh, shack out in the, the village. And the name of the village they moved her to, it's a political prison village, was called Misery Village. And, uh, and she, all through this book, writes about, by the way, while she's on the train, you know, they put them on a train to take them way out of the country uh, to, these, to these places where they're in prison. And while she's on the train going out, she's collecting up orphans. Now, she's got her own boys to take, but she can't stand to see these other children. She ends up with nine children, and she's going to a place that has no food and no supplies, no roof over her head, um, no way to stay dry when it rains. Um, she's, going, she's just going to collect up kids. And, uh, man, she writes some incredible truths in here about enduring and, and what it takes to endure. And I want to just read you this one little phrase here so you kind of hear how it sounds. Now, they've moved her from one hut to another, and they finally got him in a hut. She, she laid down that first night when they put her in the hut. It was dark, and they dumped her out in the yard and told her, this is going to be the house you're staying in now. It's a political prisoner. Excuse me. And when she got into the house, a neighbor um, heard all the children making noise in the house, and he brought his straw mat over and stretched it out on the floor for them so all the kids could lay on it. And she laid down on the bare floor and laid down. All the kids finally crashed. They were exhausted. They went to sleep. And she looked up and realized there's no roof. There's nothing between me and the stars. They're just sticks. And there's an old thatch house with thatch walls and thatch roof, and all the thatch was gone. I would tell you that that would probably bother me a lot. I'm in charge of these kids. We have no roof. What are we going to do? She lays there, and in her storyline, she actually speaks of how awesome it was for God to allow him, allow her to see into his home while she laid there. She said, I could see his home. And, and while he's, and I know he can look straight down on me now. There's nothing in between us. And that's that's just a relationship that says we're going to make it. We're going to endure. And she says, in my little straw hut, I, I for the first time realized that everything is perishable in this life and causes you to be lost. Only God is eternal, never to perish, and only He can save. He is the one who came not to cause man to be lost 
but the lost man would be saved. He gave himself to the law to be lost, that we might be saved. When the Holy Spirit quickened the word to me in this way, Misery Village, she puts that in quotes, that's what she calls this neighborhood she's in. Misery Village became an easy word to say, no longer created the suffocating sensation in my throat. God said that for this man, he would shake the heavens and the earth from its foundations. Uh, for man is in, in, a in, a, in an imperfect state who so easily sells himself for the pleasures of this world. She began to let go of earthly things. And she was celebrating. This whole book's a, a here's how God provided. Here's what God did. It's called the orphans and the raven. But they endured by doing God math. She did God math. She said nothing else is important except us right now. Me and God. And she recognized that. So you endure by using God math. And then you endure by pressing on no matter what. Pressing on no matter what. Center your life and your thoughts and your goals on pleasing Christ. And make everything more about Christ than about you. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. Not that I have already obtained or have... Uh, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Paul says, I haven't arrived. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that which was laid hold of by Christ. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Paul had a singular focus and a singular drive and a singular passion and a singular direction, and he just kept moving forward, no matter what the situation or circumstances was. Dallas played for a team that never lost, and then he played for a team that couldn't win. And he said, we just kept pressing on and pressing on and practicing with 100% because we knew we were going to one day have a, a team that could win some games, and they did. And it was an endurance fest. But you endure, you endure by pressing forward, not looking back and counting all your failures and what, what if we'd have done this or how did that happen? Or you can wallow around in that stuff forever and you know die on the, on the altar of analysis paralysis and never achieve what you're trying to achieve if you just keep moving forward. Y'all all know the story of Abraham Lincoln and how many disastrous times he tried to run for office and it never worked and never worked and never worked. And then he became president, right? And, and uh, Edison with the light bulb, you know, he makes it crystal clear he didn't have that 1,500 failures or whatever it was. He says those were just, you know, 1,500 ways not to make a level. I just learned 1,500 ways not to do it so I could figure out the way to do it. So I was talking with my brother uh, Philip, uh, Phil Snodgrass, who's a veteran as well, and he's spoken here before on Veterans Day. And I was asking him if his dad or he had any stories about enduring. And his dad has one that goes on, that goes well with this called Pressing Forward. His dad tell, was a surgeon. He was a surgeon all my life, too, as growing up. But his dad was a surgeon in Vietnam. Uh, a young surgeon went over there. And at some point, he was trying to get into a, uh, a larger foxhole where some guys were wounded, and he was going to care for them. And they were in a firefight. And on his way there, as he got near the hole, he took a shot. In, actually, his right. He took a shot in his shoulder, took a bullet through his shoulder, and went down in the hole and got shot. He was hit, kind of winged in the shoulder. He fell in the, the foxhole, and, and Phil tells the story. He goes, the first thing my dad, he's 19 years old, the first thing my dad tells me he did was he just started crying for mama. He said, I just won't go, mama. 
I just want my money. Who wouldn't? You know, been shot and you're laying over in Vietnam, a thousand miles from home. You know, so he wanted his mom. He felt a long way from home. But soon he began to look around the, in the bunker he was in, and he realized why he was running toward the bunker was because there's a bunch of guys there that need his surgeon skills. They need his doctor skills. And so it clicked in his head, and for the next 14 hours, he cared for the guys down in that deal and more guys and took care of a whole bunch of guys until finally one of the other surgeons says, hey, man, we need, to, we need to sit you down and take care of yours now, right? So he just pressed on. He was wounded. He was hurting. He was even afraid, and he was struggling emotionally, but he said, I'm going to press on, right? That's Dr. Snodgrass. And so it's a good example for us of what we need to do. Just because you've been wounded, just because something bad's happened, just because something didn't go like you thought it should or even everybody thought it should, doesn't mean you stop. That's the challenge of this next generation is they just want to quit when it doesn't work out. They just want to quit. I, I, I'm not saying it's all to blame on this, but you know when you have a, a video game that's not going well and you can just shut it off or reset it or you know, all the rebut, reset it, Buttons do you have on a video game now where, you know, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to win this match, of, right? You're not learning anything by being able to reset. You've got to endure. You've got to endure. The last one I want you to hear is that you have to endure by trusting God with your supplies. You endure by trusting God with all your supplies. This is how we ended the study in Philippians. Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all your needs. According to his riches and glory, not your riches and glory. And it's not some of your needs, it's not most of your needs, it's all of them. He will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Verse 20, or Philippians 4.19 is Paul's guarantee that God's a provider. Now where is he writing it from? Prison. What kind of food's he eating? Prison food. What kind of floor is he sleeping on? Prison floor, right? Prison rock. I mean, he's just, he's not in this luxury hotel saying, my God, will supply all your needs. We picture the luxury hotel, you know, with your Winnebago parked outside and you stopped at the Hilton and, you know, the swimming pool and you're on your way to the mountains for God supply all your needs and you go to the mountains and spend a month in the mountains without ever having to work. That's not where Paul's writing it from. He's saying he, God supplies your needs. God supplies all your needs, whatever you need in any situation. And when you trust in him, it will help you endure. It'll help you endure. So I'd like you to just write these quick takeouts. These are your carryouts. So like you carry out food of a restaurant, we want you to carry this with you. I challenge you this week. Would you ask some close friends to evaluate you regarding selfless, regarding just your selflessness versus selfishness? If you're a selfish person, you need some close friends that will tell you, hey, I think that was a little selfish. You need people to point to you, I think that was a little selfish. You know, they might say it squeamishly or whatever, but give them permission because self-ish people don't endure hard things and they don't glorify God in the process. Selfless people do, and that's who we want to be, selfless people. Growing people in their faith are selfless. So you got to get with your close friends and a good set of accountability friends. Build some of those and then ask. Number two, I'd encourage you to study these passages from Ephesians and 1 Peter and Galatians. Study these passages about your spiritual blessings from God and see what you're applying. You know, the, we actually, you have to mine out. So if you read these passages and it says it, that, you know, you're, God's given you patience 
and yet you're not exemplifying patience. Maybe you need to dig deeper into the mind and figure out where the patience, how do I connect my spirit with the Holy Spirit so I'm living out patience? You know, if, he, if, if whatever those blessings and gifts and guidance from God are, I just encourage you to study those things. And then number three, I'd make a list of the four most influential people in your life and make sure they're strengthening you. If you have influential people in your life that are weakening you spiritually, you got to rearrange your priorities and say, this person may be an associate or a friend, but I'm not going to spend an enormous amount of time with them because people that endure have really strong people of faith surrounding them. And they stand strong in their faith and they work toward that. Amen?